Are you familiar with the short story titled An Inch and a Half of Glory? It's all about the main character, Earl Parrish. And Earl, he's this guy who he notices in his town that there's a burning building that's on fire. And seven other guys, they notice it as well. And they hear from this burning building the screams of a little boy. And so they're determined they're going to go in and they're going to rescue this boy. And so that's what they do. The eight of them, they march into the burning building to rescue this boy. And just about the time that they get into the building, they hear the sounds of the fire trucks approaching. And so the seven other guys, they say, you know what? We'll leave this to the professionals. They're better equipped. They're better skilled. They can come in here. They can rescue him. But Earl says, you know what? Time is of the essence. We just can't wait for the firemen to get here. And so he forged ahead. He raced further into the building. He found the little boy. He grabbed him and who rescued him. He brings him out to safety. Well, of course, the town is overjoyed. They, they can't believe what Earl has just done. And the next day, there's a little article about Earl in the local newspaper. The whole article only took up about an inch and a half, but it detailed what Earl had done and a little bit about his life. Well, at first, Earl was kind of embarrassed by all this, by all the attention, by all the accolades and people coming up and telling him what a good job he'd done. But after a while, he began to enjoy it. And a little while later, he started to feel like he deserved it. And at that point, his life really started to spiral downward out of control. He ended up losing his job, losing relationships. As he went to look for other jobs, he thought all the other jobs were beneath him. He thought, hey, maybe I'll go and work for the fire station. After all, I did this great deed for them, you know. And the firehouse was like, man, we're not hiring this guy. All he does is brag about himself, about his one act of heroism. And so Earl, he began to believe his own press, and it ended up getting the best of him. You know what? It's a temptation we all face, isn't it? Where we can believe our own press. I mean, maybe there's not an article written about us in a newspaper or something, but it's the accolades that we can receive from friends who come alongside of us and they butter us up and they tell us how good we are, how skilled we are, how talented we are. And we feel like there's certain things that we deserve that, well, because of us, we're the cause of all this good stuff that's happening. We're indispensable. We're entitled to certain things. After all, it's only right. And it's in those moments that we're most susceptible to missing everything God has for us. You know what? The disciples would find that out. As we continue our series, the Empowered series going through Mark's gospel, we reach a point where the disciples, they've been sent off, they've come back, and they're on cloud nine. I mean, they're thinking they are something special. And Jesus, well, he's going to point to them, hey, you're missing it. You're believing your own press. I want you to see it. Let's go ahead. We'll dive in. Mark 6, verses 30 through 44. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. John Mark writes, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. 
send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So, you remember last week, just to get you caught up, uh, Jesus, he had commissioned off his disciples. You remember, he commissions them off to go and make disciples. And he commissions them off essentially with nothing, right? He sends them with a staff, with their sandals, and with a friend. Nothing else, no food, no money, no place to stay. Nothing like that, essentially nothing. And he sends them off, go make disciples. And so that's what they do. And now the time has come to reconvene, to reassemble. And they get back. And can you imagine after you've been off like that, you've been gone for several weeks, and this is how you've been sent? I mean, they get back and they've got all these stories to tell. And they're telling the stories. Oh man, we met these people and they welcomed us into, our, into their home. And this is the food that we ate. And man, we saw incredible things happen. We saw demons being driven out. We saw people being healed. And we saw people being saved. There were opportunities for discipleship. It was so incredible. We were doing this. We were in the middle of it all. And here's what was happening. Mark says that they just wanted to tell everything that had happened. Right? And you would too, right? This happened and this happened and this happened. All the details are so important. Everything's so exciting. Because they'd never done anything in their lives like this before. And they're wanting to get it all out. And as they're telling the stories, Jesus says, you know what? It's time to get away. Let's let's go over to a quiet place, a desolate place, and we can rest there. Now, from Mark's gospel, you almost wonder, is Jesus like this really nice, benevolent CEO who sees his employees go out? Hey, you've done such a great job. You're you're worthy of uh, a, a vacation. Let's just take you out on a vacation. You've done so good. Here's a reward for your labor. You you almost wonder if this is the type of relationship and this is the the motive behind it. But if you were to read Luke, and then if you read the stories in Mark, and you see the episodes and what's transpiring, you almost have to read between the lines a little bit to see what Jesus is getting at and what he's trying to develop in the hearts and minds of the disciples. Because Jesus is not this benevolent CEO who's looking, saying, you've done such a great job, let's go, you've earned a vacation. No. No. His, his thing is, he's looking and he's saying, you're, you're thinking this is all about you. You're thinking this is about your skill and how good you are. And I'm hearing these stories, but you're missing the most important thing. You're missing the relationship. You're missing me. This is how it all happened. And so, hey, let's go. Let's, let's get away. And they do. They go, they get away. And you can imagine the disciples, all right, we're going to have a rest. We can have a campfire. We can sit around. We can tell more of the story. We get to share. It's going to be so good. And as they're going and as they're leaving, then they get to the other side. But the people, they've seen it all. They've recognized the disciples. They've recognized Jesus. And they run out. They run ahead of them to greet them. And so when they arrive, there's this big welcoming party. 
of probably between 15 to 20,000 people out in the middle of nowhere. It's a desolate place. It's a remote area. These people, they've left their villages, they've left their towns, and they've all run as fast as they could. They want to be there when Jesus and his disciples arrive. Do you understand? This is the magnitude. This is the magnetic nature of who Jesus is. That he's so captivating, he's so winsome, that people, when they see him, they so want to be with him. There's this desperation just to be with Jesus. And if you know Jesus, I know you have that same desperation to know him more, to walk more faithfully with him, to understand him and how he worked and what he does and how he equips to know him better and know him more because this is the nature of Jesus. And you see it over and over and over again throughout the gospels. And if you know Jesus, you've seen it over and over and over again throughout your life. And so here's the desperation. They come, they're, they're excited, they're rushing to see Jesus. But then there's the disciples. Can you imagine if you're the disciples? You think you're getting away for a little private vacation. Hey, we've been around people all the time. Now it's time. We just get to have our little small powwow with Jesus. It's just us and Jesus. And we can talk and we can share all the stories. We can go into even more detail. It's going to be so good. And they get there. And there's a welcoming party of 15 to 20,000 people to greet them. Just mob them right as Jesus steps out onto the shore. Man, they're all there. They're excited. Uh, You know, do you think they're looking and thinking, oh, this is great, another opportunity to serve? No, they're thinking their vacation plans were just ruined. (laughs) Man, this thing got crashed. This was not what we thought was going to happen. Did you see the responses in, in this story? Do you see how Jesus responded to the people? He's looking at them, and he's, he's brokenhearted. He says he has compassion on them. This is this gut response. He sees these people just as they are. He says, like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. And that's a desperate place to be. That's a very desperate place to be. Did you know that sheep, they're unable to find a pasture, like a place to eat just by themselves? They can't do it. They're not very smart animals. And so they would literally starve to death without a shepherd to take them. Also, sheep, they're completely defenseless. They're one of the few animals. They they have no defense in and of themselves. They're desperate for a shepherd to defend them against their predators. If you have no shepherd and you're a sheep, man, you're in in mortal danger from any predator, any wolf, anybody around because you have no defense. And Jesus, he says, this is how they look. This is how they are. This is their state of helplessness, of hopelessness. And he sees that, and he's cut to the heart. And so he invites them in. He has compassion on them. He demonstrates that compassion by teaching to them. Mark says many things. You get the idea that there's like this all-day Bible study going on, that Jesus, he just teaches, and he teaches, and he teaches, and he's pouring it all out because he loves them. And he demonstrates this compassion towards them. Meanwhile, the disciples, they're looking at this, and some have said that the disciples are just being practical here, you know? They're saying, hey, Jesus, time to kind of break up this study here. It's very good. It's, you know what? Your teaching's incredible. However, starting to get late. Uh, we need to send these people so they can get home before dark so they're able to get something to eat. I think that's a generous reading and interpretation of the text. Because the disciples, remember, they had just been commissioned off to a mission field where they had nothing. That they had seen their needs provided in extraordinary ways. I mean, they had lived the provision of the Lord. 
They've been cared for. They've been housed. They've been fed. They've seen all this happen. They've seen God's provision. They've seen how he works. Now, I think more, it's just, this is their attitude towards the people. All right, Jesus, they've had their time with you. Send them away. Here's the excuse we'll use. They need to eat. But they just want time with Jesus. Send them away, Jesus. It's it's time for them to go home. We want to tell our stories. We want you to hear more about what we did and what we've done, how awesome it was, and you're going to be so proud of us. So this is where they're at. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? The response of Jesus versus the response of the disciples. (laughs) So Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you know what? You give them something to eat. And they sarcastically just snap back at Jesus. Oh, sure, Jesus, we'll just go to the store. We'll spend 200 denarii. We'll buy food for all these people. I mean, just how in the world are we supposed to do that? 200 denarii in those days were about eight months wages for the average Jewish man. Okay, these guys, they've left their jobs. They've been surviving, surviving off of other people's generosity. Where in the world are they getting eight months wages from? And then they got to go into the town, get all the bread. And they're saying, Gee, this is impossible. I mean, give me a break. What, what are we supposed to do here? Jesus says, well, take an inventory. What do you got? You know, these disciples, all they're seeing is the obstacle. Jesus had sent them out with nothing. He'd already shown them who he was, what he would do. He'd sent them out with nothing. All these incredible things start to happen. And instead of looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, you've done all this for us, they start believing their own press. They start thinking, here's what we did. Here's what happened. Here's what was accomplished. We were part of all this. It was so incredible. And so Jesus, he's taking them away to a quiet place, to a desolate place, because he's focused on their heart. He wants to make sure that he has all of them. You know, any other CEO, you know what they would do here, right? If, if you send all your employees out and they come back and they have all these incredible stories, any other CEO, they don't care about the heart. They're saying, man, we multiplied like that. Let's go ahead, let's get 50 guys, you know, we'll train them up and we'll send them out. And then, you know, who knows how much this will explode to. I mean, let's expand this business. We got this enterprise going on now. That's not Jesus. Jesus says, no, I'm after the heart of the few here. My disciples, they're going to wholeheartedly follow me. They're going to be so committed to the relationship because that's what he wanted them to rejoice in. That's what he wanted them to be excited about, to be enamored with, was the relationship with Jesus and who he is and what he does. Simply Jesus. The disciples, they they never would have just served those people. You know, it was all obstacle. And so they're looking at Jesus. Jesus, we're in the middle of nowhere. How are we going to get food? We don't have enough money. Look at all these people. It's never going to happen. And Jesus, he just sees opportunity. Look at all these desperate people. Look at all these helpless people. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They they, they so need a good shepherd to provide for them, to protect them, to feed them. And so here's the opportunity to feed. And in this comes this great illustration for us, a great lesson that we need to learn, and that is we look for opportunities, not obstacles. 
We look for opportunities instead of obstacles. Listen, in a sin-cursed world, you can always find an obstacle. There's always an obstacle. There's an obstacle to everything we do in life. There's always something that doesn't go right. There's always something that goes wrong. There's always some kind of pain, some kind of heartache. Our plans are always interrupted. But the good news of the gospel is that God makes all things new, that he redeems all things, that God is able to turn all the hardship, all the pain, all the interruptions, and he's able to turn it for our good and for his glory. It takes no faith to see an obstacle. Anybody can see an obstacle, and they're everywhere. Sometimes it takes great faith to see the opportunities in the midst of the obstacles. And so whatever obstacles you got in your life, and we all have them, you have obstacles in your life, I've got obstacles in my life, we all have them, but in the midst of those obstacles, do you see opportunities? Opportunities to serve, opportunities to grow in depth of relationship, opportunities to love, opportunities to grow in trust and in confidence in what God does. Do you see the good? Because God is a good, he's always good. His goodness is not dependent upon your circumstances or mine. He's simply good. Are you able to see the good? Or do you just see the obstacles? See, we look for opportunities instead of obstacles. The disciples, they're seeing the obstacles, right? Jesus, come on. How are we going to feed all these people? Jesus says, well, I'll tell you what. Take an inventory. See what all you got. Combine everything. Let's see what's out there. And they do, and they come back, and they say, okay, Jesus, we took a survey. Between all these 20,000 people that we've got, we came up with five loaves of bread and two sardines. What are we supposed to do with this? (laughs) And Jesus says, all right, I can do something with that. And the people sit down on the grass in groups of 50s and groups of 100s. And don't miss this. You know, Jesus, he could have performed this miracle however he wanted, right? I mean, he could have made a receiving line or something, some kind of bread line, and just everyone could have had to come through Jesus, and they could have had had to receive the food straight from Jesus, every single last one of them. He didn't do that. He could have prayed down manna from heaven. I mean, we've seen that before. He could have prayed it all down. Manna could have just fallen in their laps as they're sitting there on, on the countryside. He could have done that. He could have made the disciples just sit off in the corner and just kind of watch that you guys who have no faith, and he could have just embarrassed them a little bit. I want you to see what I'm going to do. You just sit there and watch. He could have done that. He didn't do any of those things. He chose to use the disciples to be part of the miracle, even though they had demonstrated no faith. And so he says, okay, take your baskets. He divides up the bread and fish, puts it in their baskets. They're probably thinking, this isn't going to go very far. Now go feed them. In those days, it was common for Jewish people to have wicker baskets with them. It was kind of like the lunch pail of the day. And you just put your lunch in there for the day. They were very small baskets. And this is probably what they had, these small wicker baskets. And they go, and they take the small wicker basket, and Jesus divides up the food, and they're, going, and they're going to these groups of 50s and 100s, and they're feeding them. They're the ones who are distributing the food. It's estimated that for 12 men to feed a group of between 15 and 20,000 people, when you account for women and children, that it would take an hour. 
So can you imagine if you're one of those guys, one of the disciples, and for an hour, you're sticking your hand in the basket, you're grabbing that next piece of bread, and you're handing it to the person. You're grabbing that next fish, and you're handing it to the person. How many times do you have to stick your hand in the basket to grab a piece of bread? How many times do you have to stick your hand in the basket to grab a piece of fish? How many times do you have to stick your hand in the basket to feed thousands of people? How many times do you have to stick your hand in a basket for an hour as you're feeding these people? How many times do you have to stick your hand in the basket until you realize Jesus has everything you need for life and ministry? He's got everything you need. You're telling your stories about how great everything was and all this stuff that happened. Are you believing your own press that it was your skill and your ability and your ingenuity and that's why all this happened? Are you believing all the people who are coming up to you and patting you on the back and thanking you for how great you are? Don't you realize it was me? Don't don't you realize I'm the one who has everything you need for life and ministry? See, Jesus is after their hearts. He wants them to get it. Jesus, you're all in all. Everything I need, you are. You have. I don't need to go anywhere else. I simply need to go to you. See, we can serve selfishly, you know? It is possible. In fact, it's oftentimes very easy to serve with selfish motives. Sometimes we don't think of it that way. It's just that we like our position. We like the praise that we get. We like people coming and telling us and affirming us on how good we're doing and the talent that we have and the skill that we possess and all these different things, and we like it. But you know what? It's all his. All of it is Jesus's. It's not, it's not my skill. It's not your skill. It's not your ability. It's not even your ministry. It's not my ministry. It's all Jesus. We're simply stewards. We're stewards of everything. We're stewards of the skills, of the abilities, of the talents that he gives each and every one of us. We're stewards of the resources that we have. We're stewards of the ministries that he calls us to, but none of it's ours. There's other people with the same skills, and God will raise up, and he will use them. The ministries that you're involved in, the ministries that I'm involved in, they're not mine, right? There'll be somebody else doing this long after I'm gone, God willing, right? None of it's ours. It's all his. And so we must serve without selfishness. We, we don't serve with, with, as selfish people because we recognize Jesus has everything we need. You serve without selfishness by recognizing that it's about others, it's not about yourself. And any kind of praise we get, any kind of accolades, all the, all the compliments that we receive because of how faithfully we serve and how obediently we serve, we realize it's just like a rose, right? That God allows us to take the rose and to smell the sweet aroma, but it's not our rose. We just give it back to God. It's his. He allows us to, to be part of it, to smell the aroma for a while, but when we hold on to the rose, and this is mine, I deserve this, I earned this. Jesus is like, you're taking a rose. Man, I got a kingdom for you. I have so much more. And you're satisfied with this? No, you're just, you're just smelling. You're just getting a little whiff of what I want to do for you. But I want to do it 
You'll never accomplish it by yourself. You'll never get there by yourself. You'll never earn it by yourself. And so we serve without selfishness by realizing that it's not me. It's not my resources. I don't have to look and say, okay, I just need more skill. I just need more talent. I just need more this. I need more that. No, I need more Jesus. I need more Jesus. The church is not in desperate need for more talented people. The church is in desperate need for more Jesus. To know him more fully. To walk with him more faithfully. To know his word. To have this desperation to live in step with the spirit. Communing with Jesus. Because Jesus has everything we need for life and ministry. He can take five loaves of bread, and he can take two small fish, and he can feed the masses. And he can take you. It's not depending on you to make disciples. He's not looking at you saying, come on, you got to have enough skill, you got to have enough talent. He's no, trust me, I have everything you need. Everything you need for life and ministry. Jesus creates, we just distribute. Jesus creates the meal, we just are allowed to serve. And he invites us to do that, not because he needs us, but because he loves us. And so now the question is, disciples, do you get that? Do you understand what Jesus is trying to teach you through the loaves and the fish? Do you understand why he has brought you to this desolate place in the middle of nowhere and brought all these crowds so that you would have to fully rely on him to serve them? Do you understand that he has everything you need for life and for ministry? Do you understand that? Well, to see if they understood it, the story moves along. I want you to see it. Mark 6, 45 through 56. Mark 6, 45 through 56. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they, saw, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out. For they all saw him and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard that he was. And wherever he came, in villages and cities and the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many who touched it were made well. So it's been quite a day already, hasn't it? The disciples, they think they're going on this great vacation. They get over to this place. It's supposed to be peaceful, quiet. They can just tell their stories. When they get there, it's not so peaceful. They're greeted by a welcoming party of 15 to 20,000. They have no food. They end up having to feed them. And now it's getting late in the day. It's probably almost dark. And so Jesus sends the disciples back across the lake. 
The boat trip across the lake was about five hours. Jesus, meanwhile, he goes up, he dismisses the crowd, he goes up on a mountain to pray. And he's praying. And as he's praying, there's a storm that comes. And these guys, these disciples, they're rowing. It's hard. They're up against the storm. They're up against the wind. They got all these waves. And Jesus, as he's praying, he looks out. And did you notice he sees it? He sees what's going on. He's praying, but he sees what's going on. And he just lets them row for a while. You know, it's not, it's not like he's running right out there. Okay, these guys are in trouble. Let me go rescue them again. No, he just lets them row. And Mark gives us the timeline, okay? About the fourth watch of the night. These guys have been rowing for nine hours. Nine hours. They've only made it about three or four miles offshore. I mean, it's one of those things, you know, two rows forward and run one row back. I mean, it is painful. They're just making progress inch by inch by inch. And as they're struggling with all they've got, Jesus is alone praying. You know, whenever you find Jesus, whenever he has time to be alone, he's always communing with the Father. He's always in prayer with the Father. So he's praying, they're rowing, it's the middle of the night. And, you know, here's the thing about fishermen. Fishermen like to tell big fish stories, you know, right? You know, however, however big the fish was, it's always like really like, you know, they'll, they'll tell you it's like twice that big, right? This is how fishermen kind of work. And they had these uh, ghost stories, okay? And in those days, they did too. And there was a popular ghost story that they used to tell about the Sea of Galilee. And it went something like this. There was a fisherman, his boat had capsized, and he lived at the bottom of the lake. And at nighttime, you know, he would come up out of the lake and he would grab fishing boats and he would, and he would just grab them and bring them down to the bottom of the lake to be with him. Okay, so this was the story that they told. Did anybody believe the story? No, it was all in good fun. I mean, you know, you know how it works, right? There's a group of guys around the lakes. It's a guy, he's new, his first day with the crew. You're out there at night, you're doing a night catch, trying to get some fish. And what happens? As you're passing the time, you tell this story, and you wait for that punchline. You got another guy who grabs him, and then you splash some water on the guy, and everybody laughs. Do you believe in ghosts? No, you don't believe in ghosts. You're just having fun. But in the moment, the guy who gets the joke played on him, he's a little scared, right? It's the same thing for us. You know, you're out, maybe around a campfire, and you're telling this story, some ghost story. Do you believe in ghosts? No, but at the right time, you know, you throw something in the fire, it makes a pop, somebody runs behind, grabs somebody, you're screaming. Do you believe in ghosts? No, but in that moment you do. <laughs> and this is how it is for these guys. Do they believe in ghosts? No, these are grown men, they don't believe in ghosts. But they're soaking wet. They've been rowing all night against the storm. They feel like their backs are going to break. It's dark. They can't see too well. And now they see a figure walking on the water. Do they believe in ghosts? Oh, in that moment, you better believe they did. And they're screaming. Mark says they are crying out. They are terrified. There's a ghost walking on the water. And then they hear that familiar voice. Take heart. It's I. Don't be afraid. Too late, right? We're already terrified, man. Our pants are wet. This is, yeah, we're scared to death right now. Mark just kind of zooms along in the story. We don't get the whole episode of Peter, Peter walking on the water. Mark skips over all that. He just puts Jesus in the boat, and Jesus gets in the boat, and what happens? Everything dies down. Everything's calm. Remember, these guys, they'd been through a storm before. They were all upset. Jesus is sleeping right? They, they think for sure they're going to die. Jesus, we're drowning. You don't even care. 
As soon as Jesus wakes up, he speaks to the storm. Everything everything's stops. Everything's quiet immediately. You get basically the same thing here. As soon as Jesus gets in the boat, everything stops. You go from crazy wind, crazy waves, crazy rain, to still, flat, calm, immediately. What's Jesus trying to show these guys? I got everything you need. I got everything you need for life and ministry. You're out in the middle of nowhere, and you're sent with nothing, and you got to go make disciples. I got everything you need. You're, you're in a desolate place, and you're around all these hurting, helpless people. And he said, I don't know, how in the world am I supposed to help these people? He's got everything you need. You're in some familiar place on the, on the sea, a place you know like the back of your hand. But now things are a little different. He's got everything you need. You're facing obstacles in your life. You've got challenges in your life. You don't know how you're going to make ends meet. You don't know how you're going to deal with the choices that someone else has made, and now you're just living in the backwash of it all. What am I going to do? He's got everything you need. There's people out there, you say, man, I know they need to be discipled. I know they need someone older and wiser who just knows the word to come alongside them and, 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 and disciple them and mentor them, but I mean, I don't know. He's got everything you need. He has everything you need for life and ministry. The disciples, Mark says, they don't get it. This was, hey, let's see, do you understand what I'm trying to show you? And what does Mark say? They are utterly astounded at what's happening. They just, they just can't even believe it. Why? Mark says, because they didn't understand about the loaves. And so their hearts were hard. They didn't get it. They were still believing their own press. That it's something about us. Like, I got to earn his favor. I got to work really hard so that he'll be happy with me. And if I have all these talents and I do really well, he's going to be so proud. No, he wants your heart, he wants the relationship, he wants you to grow in your knowledge of him and how you walk with him, and how you commune with him, and how he will change just the way you see things, to bring joy, to bring life, to bring hope, to see people as he sees them, where they're not interruptions, but they're opportunities to disciple, to come alongside, to love, to serve. You know, Jesus, he allowed this storm. He sent the disciples right to it. He let them row all that time. He was up on the mountain and he saw what was going on. He didn't go out and rescue them. He let them row to make painstakingly slow progress throughout all the night. He allowed it all. Why? To develop them. To develop them. He allows storms in our lives too. He allows deep waters, rough waters, hard times. He allows it not to drown us, but to develop us. Doesn't mean he's the cause of all your storms. No, some of that could be your own doing. The choices that you've made, 
Some of it, it could be choices that other people's made, and now it's affecting your life. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he, he sends a storm. Not to drown you, but to develop you. Not to sink you, but to steady your confidence in him. To steady your trust in him. To steady the relationship in him. See, he wants us to get that he has everything we need. Everything we need for life. Everything we need for ministry, Jesus already has it. What he's trying to get the disciples to understand is he is all in all. The issue is not I need more this, I need more that. It's always I need more Jesus because he is all in all. He wants the disciples to see what the world will one day recognize. And he wants you to see it now too. That he's all in all. All of creation will recognize it one day. He wants you to understand this truth of the gospel now. He has everything you need. He is all in all. You don't have to go anywhere else. The disciples, they still didn't get it. They get to the land, and Jesus continues to do what Jesus does. He invites the people, and they're coming to him. You see just again just how magnetic Jesus is, and they're coming out of the cities. They're coming out of the villages. They're bringing sick people on mats, on cots, whatever they got to do. They just got to get to Jesus. There's a desperation just to touch the edge of his garment. They recognize he's, we got no other hope. We got nothing else. He's everything. I just got to get to him. The disciples still don't get it. They'd been so close, and yet, well, now they've heard all the compliments. Now they've heard how special they are, and they fail to realize it's him. They, become, they began to become enamored with themselves, and Jesus says, no, you must be enamored with me. It's me. So that's our challenge too, isn't it? Not to believe our own press. Not to listen just to the compliments, to the, to the good things. It's nice. Those are gifts. This is the sweet rose that we get to smell the aroma. But we don't own the rose. It's his, and so we give it back. You understand humility is much better than greatness because there is only one who is great. It's Jesus. He's the one. That's what we sang about him this morning. He's the one who saves. It's not us. We simply serve faithfully. We, live, we leave the results to him. Heavenly Father, God, you are a good God. You are truly all in all. God, forgive us for when we think it's all about us. Our gifts, our talents, our skills, our abilities, our resources. God, even all that is all yours. You've, you've given them to us for a time to steward May we steward them well as we point people to you and demonstrate to them and show them and disciple them so that they know you have everything we need for this life. We have everything we need for the ministries that you've called us to. God, we need your help to see that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.